0: President Biden found out this week he'll have a chance to keep a blatant campaign promise. The governor of Massachusetts is ending his time in office with an aggressive push for something he's not much addressed until now. And Red Sox fan favorite Big Poppy David Ortiz is going into the Baseball Hall of Fame. Alas, after two years of COVID cancellations, music returns to Tanglewood this summer. From New England Public Media, this is And Another Thing. My schwader is off today. I'm Derek Kennedy. On Fridays, we review some of the major news of the past week with guest journalists from around the region. With us today returns iBerkshires.com executive editor Tammy Daniels.
1: It's great to be here again. Reminders,
0: publications, executive editor Mike Dobbs. Thank you. And New England Sports Network anchor and Boston Red Sox reporter Jemai Webster joins us for the first time. Welcome to the show.
2: Hey, thanks so much for having me. Great to be here.
0: Before the end of February, U.S. Senators will have an unexpected and pressure-filled piece of business before them. Supreme Court Justice Stephen Breyer will retire at the end of his term. That's after more than 27 years on the court. Yesterday, President Biden told the nation he'll nominate a successor before the end of
1: February. While I've been studying candidates' backgrounds and writings, I've made no decision except one. The person I will nominate will be someone with extraordinary qualifications, character, experience, and integrity. And that person will be the first Black woman ever nominated to the United States Supreme Court. It's long overdue in my view. I made that commitment during the campaign for president. And I will keep that. Campaign.
0: There are three New England senators on the Judiciary Committee that will first review the nomination. It's a four-part process. Patrick Leahy from Vermont, Sheldon Whitehouse from Rhode Island, and Richard Dick Blumenthal from Connecticut. Tammy, let me start with you. Should we expect those three Democrats to become immediate backers of President Biden's nominee?
1: Yes, I think It goes without saying. Uh, Leahy has already been on record saying that he would work expeditiously to push through a nominee for the president. I think the nominee would have to be, there would have to be a lot of problems with that candidate. I think for any of those three to really come out and say that they would be against it. Um, And I think Biden has been particularly careful about the nominees he's put forward already. Uh, He's so far, I believe he has now put through more in the past year than um, the last president in uh, federal uh, appointments. So I think he probably has a very short list already lined up.
0: Mike, do you think that they will support President Joe Biden just to help the numbers on the federal level?
3: I think there's a a distinct probability of that. I mean, I, I really can't see any. Democratic senators wanting to oppose uh, any candidate that the president brings forward at this point, uh, simply because I think the stakes are, are way too high, not only for the Biden administration and its accomplishments as it's perceived by the public, but for the court itself, for for the the quality of jurist itself.
0: And when we look at the totality of the story, it's not just the microcosm of nominating an African American woman. It is about trying to even out more because right now it's a six to three uh, majority conservative vote. It is trying to get some more youth in and someone with expanded thought. But, Jemai, how important is it to have a black woman on the bench at that level?
2: I think uh, it's very important. I think it's long overdue. Certainly, as an African-American myself, uh, I look at it as a point of pride. Uh, not only being a black woman, but for somebody who has the qualifications, I would love to see it. And I'm looking forward to the nominee when that comes.
0: Mike, some Republicans appear ready to fight the president's nomination before he can even put someone forward. Could such a fight improve his standing with some voters around here
3: anyway? I'm not sure if it's going to improve his standing, but I think what it is going to do is to indicate the, the absolute chasm uh, the canyon that separates um, members of the Senate. you know, it's patently ridiculous for any Republican senator to already start talking about opposing a nominee without knowing who the nominee is for goodness sakes. Um, this is this is just a continuation of, of Trump era politics uh, among the Republicans in the Senate. It's very disappointing that they actually can't move on. And it's disappointing that they can't do their jobs.
0: Tammy, I saw you shaking your head. Why did you shake your head at the the thought that Republicans are readying a fight? When they confirmed Amy uh, Coney Barrett in the shortest amount of time, uh, what was it, a month, 30 days? But now they're already readying to fight Joe Biden. Mitch
1: McConnell already laid the groundwork. He decided that he was not going to allow the Senate to even look at a nominee from President Obama. So for the Republicans at this point to say they're not ready to approve anyone, um, in here we are in, in a midterm year, is really absolutely ridiculous. They decided that you don't need a lengthy process. They decided that you should be pushing Supreme Court justices through in a very short track period of time. So for them to come back and say we need to slow down it, it, it is it's, it's patently ridiculous. does his age
0: matter he's 83 years old he's the oldest justice on the court
1: is it time now
0: to bring someone in that is still in their 40s or early 50s does it matter
1: i say yes we have a court that's really looking at and particularly when we're talk, talking about a, a digital world about new technologies we we have a court that is getting older i don't want to be ageist but but I think sometimes people of my age and older maybe don't grasp um, sort of how we are living our lives today. And I think it becomes when we have too many senior justices, uh, I think there becomes a certain mindset that you, you need more perspectives and you need younger perspectives. And maybe we need an expanded court, maybe we need term limits, uh, maybe we need something to allow the court to become more representative of the nation as a
0: whole. And Mike, just this last one to you. After having lost Ruth Bader Ginsburg, a woman, now losing Stephen Breyer, a man, would the Republicans want to replace him with another man, especially uh, now that Roe v. Wade is up against the Supreme Court?
3: Uh, I, I think that's a possibility, of course. Um, but a- again, uh, Joe Biden is president. One of his duties is is to make these nominations, um, and I-, I think that if President Biden picks the right person, someone whose whose record and reputation and character is pretty bulletproof, I would I would think that this is going to get through the Senate. There's going to be a lot of theatrics and a lot of screaming and you know pulling of hair, rendering of garments, but uh, uh, basically. A, a good candidate, I think, should and would get through the process and and join his or her colleagues on the bench.
0: Well, speaking of fights, uh, Governor Charlie Baker has largely avoided them in his first seven years of governor of Massachusetts, but in his final year, this one, he may be gearing up for one. Baker is used his excuse me. Baker used his State of the Commonwealth address this week to call for cuts in state taxes.
3: We've asked the people of Massachusetts to do a lot these last few years, and it's time to invest in our families and to give them back some of the tax revenue that they created through their
2: hard work.
0: So the governor wants to eliminate the state income tax for a larger number of low-income workers in Massachusetts and double the property tax for low-income seniors. Mind you, this is not something that's ever really been on his plate, but for people with larger incomes, he also wants to raise the threshold for any estate tax from one million to two million dollars, and he wants to lower the short-term capital gains tax. Mike, I think I'll start with you on this one. The Democrats overwhelmingly control the state legislature uh, in Massachusetts. The governor can make them a little uncomfortable with voters who certainly appreciate the tax cuts. But number one, this is kind of a new lane for him, uh, and as popular as he may be. Does he have much chance of pushing any of these proposals through on his goodbye tour?
3: Well, I think it's very interesting that he's doing this now. It's sort of like uh, legacy building. People still call us Taxachusetts, um, which has not been something helpful to us in terms of attracting people or businesses to this Commonwealth. So I, I I really think there will be Democrats who will want to support this, especially since it's it's aimed at helping people. Um, at the, the middle and lower end of the economic spectrum.
1: Tammy, I see
0: you shaking your head.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I think some of these uh, parts of the this proposal would be very popular throughout the state. I think uh, lifting um, income taxes for people, making mostly minimum wage is when you're really looking at it and giving some break to renters, though that doesn't seem to be a lot. Um, and certainly, I, I mean, I'm sure in the eastern part of the state it's even worse, but out here we're, we're seeing a huge jump in our assessments on property um, that is affecting tax rates. And we have a lot of, we have a senior population out here in the western end of the state, particularly in the Berkshires. And I think, uh, I, I've seen my parents' uh, taxes and it's tough. And I think that also would be a very popular thing to get some break on property taxes.
0: And Jemai, the average Massachusetts fan that comes out to the games of the Bruins, the Red Sox, the Patriots, they may not all be in that upper echelon, so tax cuts could really hit them. There there could be a trickle-down effect to people just enjoying leisure activities like going to a baseball game.
2: Absolutely, and we've seen the rising cost over the last several years going to a baseball game. A sporting event in Boston has been increasingly expensive for families that, you know, four and five, you think, you know, you're spending upwards of $300 just to enjoy three hours at a ballpark, which is a lot of times that not a uh, expenditure that you can afford on a whim. So I particularly was tickled when Michael said taxachusetts Massachusetts, because somebody who moved here six years ago, it was my fear coming to the Commonwealth. And having been here now, I think uh, this could be a great thing, as he mentioned for, uh, Governor, the Governor Baker's legacy, and um, you know we've read things where it's, it's his most uh, sweeping relief package of his tenure to this point. So I think, as he mentioned, the last two years particularly have been a struggle for a lot of us. So to have some relief, uh, as a taxpaying member myself and a resident of this great state, I, I'm all for it.
0: Mike, last question to you: Which tax cuts might attract the most support from the voters, in your opinion?
3: Just in my completely non-economic kind of opinion, it's anything to do with your income tax, mainly because we all pay income tax.
0: You're listening to And Another Thing. This is our Friday Roundtable, where we review the week of news. After the break, some welcome news for music lovers in the Berkshires, and for one of the most popular Red Sox players in a long time. I'm Dara Kennedy. This is And Another Thing. Welcome back to And Another Thing and our Friday review of the week's news. I'm Derek Kennedy. Maya Schwader is off today with us as our guest journalist, our Nesson reporter and anchor, Jemai Webster, iBerkshires.com executive editor, Tammy Daniels, and Reminder Publications executive editor, Mike Dobbs. Again, thank you all for being here. Let's go next to the wide world of sports and a beloved figure from the Boston Red Sox. And let's be honest, across all of Major League Baseball. Uh, here's the telephone call that Big Poppy David Ortiz, received this week while he was in the Dominican Republic.
2: Hello, I'm trying to reach David Ortiz, please. This is David Ortiz. Hello, David, this is
3: uh, Jack O'Connell with the Baseball
2: Writers Association of America. I'm calling you from Cooperstown, New York, to let you know that the baseball
0: writers have elected you to the National Baseball Hall. Of Fame. Yes! <laughs> Big Poppy was the only player elected by the Writers Association to the Hall of Fame. He was happy to go in solo. It was his first year on the ballot. Jemiah first ballot entry. Maybe not surprised because it was David Ortiz, but he was a clearly an outstanding hitter, particularly in clutch situations. We all know that he helped break the curse, the 86-year drought uh, when he came over from uh, Minnesota, but he's also a big personality. He lifted the team, but he lifted the community. People just loved him. He really was uh, or was an affectionate player and still is uh, an affectionate person. And of course, we remember back to the Boston Marathon bombings when David Ortiz spoke up for the community back in 2013. How much of this is not just about what he's done for the Red Sox, but what he's meant to uh, New England and the state of Massachusetts?
2: I think you bring up a great point. And by the way, I think Jack O'Connell is still on hold. I don't think he ever got back on the line after giving uh, David the news about his Hall of Fame nod. But I think it's all-encompassing about what he meant as a player and what he did off the field. He's given us some iconic moments. You mentioned his speech, which was impromptu. He wasn't supposed to speak that day uh, following the Boston Marathon. But because of what he felt as a resident of Massachusetts, which he has stated, and somebody who lived in Boston for such a long time, he had to say something to lift people up because that is kind of what sports does. It gives you an opportunity to uh, forget about maybe some of your issues that you have uh, in the world at that time. But it certainly is a thing that his election into the Hall of Fame on the first ballot, as you mentioned, the first solo selection since 2012, when uh, Barry Larkin was inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame is about his totality. As an individual and as a baseball player, you talked about some of those clutch moments as well. And I think one of the most consequential was in 2004, as you talked about, when the Red Sox were on the brink of breaking the curse in the American League Championship Series against the rival bitter Yankees, no less. And he went on an absolute tear. And that's really what people remember in those iconic moments and him delivering three world championships to Boston.
0: Tammy, you're in the artsy part of the state there in the Berkshires, but uh, sports is transcending across the state and going into the Hall of Fame is a big deal because it represents the people of Massachusetts and New England for those that don't have their own team.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, the Boston Red Sox are basically the New England team, let's face it, right? You know, um, and I it is a big deal, particularly for Big Poppy to come in. He got the sole ballot, right? He got well more than a minimum to get in. And I think it just shows just what a good player he was and what a good person he is. And I'll admit that I, I'm a big Red Sox fan and don't pay any attention to them, (laughs) but I do follow from a distance and go Red Sox. Go David Ortiz.
2: That's right. It's going to be a party.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it is. Okay. Tammy, now we'll move back into your area. Let's get towards the arts here in the Western part of the state. Tanglewood was hit quite hard uh, over the course of the pandemic. We're still in a pandemic, but from the height of it, lots of cancellations, people were out of work, and they suffered financially. But there's going to be a Tanglewood season again. Does that make you excited? Are the people of the Berkshires and and really people that just want the arts, are they longing for this to start again?
1: Yes, I think so. We had a a partial season last year, but the big ticket, James Taylor did not play. He canceled both of the concerts that they had been hoping. He is back, knock on wood, for July 3rd, which is already sold out, and uh, July 4th. And having a full season of Tanglewood is a huge lift to this region. The last economic impact report said that Tanglewood brought in more than $100 million impact on the region. Uh, It fills up hotels, it employs people, it sends people off to restaurants, to stores. Tanglewood is an enormous has an enormous impact here in the Berkshires. I mean, people drive for from around the region to go there, and and it's not just bringing in tourists. It's I mean, you can go to Tanglewood, and there your neighbors are there. Lawn tickets, they they do a really good job of keeping uh, um, admission prices reasonable for people to go so it's not simply a tourist attraction and it also brings in new talent and uh, the institute for learning so yeah it's a big deal to have tanglewood back and it feels like maybe maybe this pandemic is starting to be over
0: mike it'll be eight weeks this summer they will welcome back the boston symphony orchestra the boston pops operators though say there will be some precautions in place during the season as Tammy mentioned last year, there were the people were spread out on the lawn. They tried to take as many precautions as possible before uh, ending the season. At this point, do we worry much about the risk with this virus, Mike? By the time July comes,
3: well, I I hope that we don't have to worry about the virus in July. I really do, especially at an event where many of the audience members are sitting outside and can actually distance themselves a bit. So. You know, Western Massachusetts as a whole depends a great deal on tourism and the arts as as an economic driver, as an economic engine. And so it's heartening to see a revered institution as Tanglewood coming back. and, And let's cross our fingers that by July that we really don't have to worry about the pandemic any longer.
0: And Jemai, you know this, the game is played outside, sports are played outside besides uh, the Bruins. When something, if something goes wrong with these great laid out plans for Tanglewood to have, you know, the chairs on the lawn and to be safely distant while still in this pandemic, what happens when those plans go wrong?
2: Well, you hope that they wouldn't because, you know, having navigated navigated this for the last two years we feel like we've almost now learned to live with the virus and um you know in our precautions and the things that we do but when plans go wrong it kind of feels like you're going back into a hole so to speak you're taking a few steps backwards so I hope the outdoor activities can continue and the precautions that we've taken over the last two years I mean I guess the Omicron variant really kind of put a wrench in a lot of people's things because it starts to really hit those who have gotten vaccinated and felt like they did all the right things. Uh, so it's unpredictable still, but you hope that, you know, doing what you, has been recommended by those in power and scientists and people who are following this thing much closer than uh, the average American, you, you hope that things go right.
0: And Tammy, I'll, we can close on this. The fans don't much care once they finally get to where they're going. They want to see friends. They want to celebrate. They want to forget the world of COVID and remote learning and being isolated. Tanglewood ran into that problem. Will they be okay if
1: fans just
0: ignore the rules?
1: Uh, I, I think fans are just going to start ignoring the rules. Uh, I have friends who, who went to Pats games and showed pictures and nobody was social distancing there. Uh, Wilco, Wilco is going to be back at the Massachusetts Museum of Contemporary Art for Solid Sound, three days of music. Uh, that is, it's going to go this May, and I, I'm signing up for a dance party at Mass MoCA for the end of April, and I'm hoping that it'll be safe to go to it. But I think people are tired, and I'm hoping this latest variant is just going to be, you know, not nearly as deadly as we have had in the past. And I have to remember, most of the most people in Massachusetts are now uh, fully vaccinated. Mike, does the honor system work?
3: Yes, the honor system I think basically works unless people are just complete jerks. I think most people understand the need for public safety at this point.
0: Thank you all for joining us again on this Journalist Roundtable for our Week in Review of the News. Again, Reminders Publication Executive Editor, Mike Dobbs. Thank you for
2: joining. Thank you.
0: Nesson, anchor, and Bo Sox reporter, Jamai Webster, thank you for joining this first time.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: And iBerkshire's.com executive editor, Tammy Daniels, thanks again for coming back to the roundtable.
1: It's great to be here.
0: Remember, you can find past episodes by visiting And Another Thing at anypm.org. Have a great weekend. We'll see you on Monday. This is And Another Thing.